Luke uh, 11, 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. The word of God. Well, good morning. You know, I uh, I could go home right now and and feel like God has ministered to my heart. This was a this has been a good morning. Thank you for this. It's a it's a fun experience for me to be able to be a part of church where where it's not just um, a unidirectional experience, where it's just the pastors talking to the congregation, where there's actual participation and, and where we can um, pray together. And that's a, that's a beautiful thing for me to be able to, to hear your hearts. And, and, uh, and, and I love that. So thank you for, for your willingness to, to share your hearts with each other and with me as we seek after the Lord together. Um, I, uh, I've mentioned this to a couple people, but uh, I've been fighting a cold for the last week and a half, two weeks, and so if I don't shake your hand after service, don't take it personally. Um, if I do shake your hands, take it personally. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, I know that there's many people in the congregation who are feeling ill right now and, and certainly would appreciate prayers. And uh, it's been it's been. It's been incredible to me this morning, even as we've as we've as we've worshipped, how um, the Holy Spirit has tied together so many different elements of the service to to my message this morning, and uh, and so I just think that that's that's either we have really really insightful leaders, which I think is true, um, but I think we also have spiritually aware leaders who are listening to what the spirit how the spirit is leading, and uh, and which is encouraging for me to know that that. This is, this is a message that I think Jesus wants me to share. Uh, about a year ago, I was having a conversation with a, a regional minister from a different denomination, and, and he asked me this question that continues to be a question that I, that I continue to wrestle with. It's this question, he asked me what I thought was the biggest threat to the North American church today. What is the biggest threat to the North American church today? It's a big question. And lots of different opinions on it, I'm sure. And as I, as I considered and wrestled with my, what my response would be, this word came to mind. Busyness. Busyness is one of the realities that seem to direct each of us in different ways. And this passage that was just read for us suggests that it's not just a 21st century issue, but it's actually probably more of a human nature issue. And we see from Martha and from Mary this juxtaposition between being busy and, and being still. And within this story, this event, we, we applaud Mary for her ability to prioritize the, the directive we see in passages like Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. And we see Jesus' response to, to Martha 
and it becomes obvious that Martha has misplaced priorities and, and that she has a busy and distracted heart, mind, and soul. And yet as much as I would love to say that the person in this story that I, that I resonate with the most is Mary, the truth is, is that I'm more of a Martha than anyone else. I relate to Martha where I spent significant portions of my life working and striving to impress people, doing tasks that I think are important because they're important to other people too. Or they're just tasks that I enjoy doing or that I'm good at. And I create these expectations in my mind of the way things should be. And I get anxious and frustrated and disappointed because I conclude that, that people just don't have the same passion and priorities as me. Or I conclude that they're just not as spiritually mature as I am. Or hypocritically, I conclude that they're just too self-absorbed to care about anything, that, that, anything that's, that I care about. When it, the reality is, is that all of us are as busy as each other. They're just as busy as I am. Running kids to and from school, sporting events, other recreational activities, making sure expectations from work are met, participating in various church activities and events. None of them bad. The list just goes on and on and on, though, for us. And I hear it from retired people, too. You know, I don't work, but yet I'm as busy as ever. We're all busy. And yet, in the midst of this busyness that we all live within, and he calls Martha to do the same. So then what do we do with this? What do we do knowing that we live in this frenetic world and that being still isn't as simple as it sounds? We can't just quit our jobs and pull our kids from school and move out to the mountains and just become monks. Because I think we would all agree that, that there's value in each of these things. My work gives me value and I feel fulfilled when I do it. My kids' schooling is important. I think that academics, are there's value in that. There's fundamental social skills and abilities that are learned when I or my kids are a part of a team or a group activity. We can't just isolate ourselves just to be still with Jesus. In fact, I think that's contrary to what we see from Jesus. And I think this is where I feel the most tension in this passage, where I feel like, yeah, Jesus, I know I'm supposed to be still, but I got things to do. And yet Jesus says, be like Mary. Sit at my feet. Just be with me. You know, for so many of us, we define our identity on what we do. One of the first questions that we ask people when we get to know them, right, is, so what do you do? What do you do for a living? We sometimes assign identity, identity to others based on, on what they do. Jesus says, that's not, that it's not what you do that defines who you are. It's who you are in me. And you're my child. You're my creation. I made you for relationship. For Martha, she was caught in this tension of first century expectations for a woman. She understood that her purpose and value in that context came from her ability to be hospitable to the guests that she was hosting. Hosting people was a tremendous honor for, the, for, for a household in that time. Martha would have been excited to, not just ha, to, to have not just anyone come to her house, but a rabbi. But not just any rabbi. Jesus. 
His stories, his fame would have been, would have been stories of his, of his miraculous works that would have been traveling throughout Israel. And suddenly he passes by. And he walks through Bethany where Mary and Martha live, about three kilometers outside of Jerusalem. And Martha does what was customary at the time to just invite these men in for a meal. Part of me wonders how many people Martha had to invite to her house before someone finally said yes. I mean, after all, it was two women by themselves. Maybe Lazarus was there. We don't know. But certainly just the two, two women. The scandal of having strangers in a house with two women would have deterred most strangers from coming for a meal. And so I wonder if Martha offered invitations to many people and they just kept saying the same answer, thanks, but no thanks. And she was probably, I wonder if she was expecting that same response from this group of 13. But this time is different. You see, Jesus isn't concerned about the appearance of scandal. He's more concerned about the relationship. And so he accepts the invitation to come into their house. And now Martha is faced with this unexpected task of hosting this group of Jesus and his 12 disciples. This party of 13 that she wasn't expecting when she woke up that morning. There wasn't time to run to the Jerusalem to the local Costco, get the necessary food ready. And in her, in her short-sighted excitement, she probably forgot about the pile of laundry on the couch, the dirty dishes that were in the sink, and the blob of toothpaste on the bathroom counter. Martha, though, probably just assumed that her sister would help her prepare a meal and host these 13 sudden guests. And I can just see it, right? Martha's frantically trying to, she, she realizes, okay, they, get, they said yes. She runs into the house and grabs her pile of laundry and launches it into her, her room. And she's scrambling around trying to figure out what to do with the dirty dishes and frantically wiping the counters. I can just see it. Because I do the same thing when I have people over. I mean, Martha has to put on the be her best appearance that she can for her guests. I mean, after all, it's Jesus. Nothing but the best. And Martha's busy preparing in the kitchen, and suddenly she can hear Mary talking with Jesus. Well, wait a minute. That wasn't part of the deal. Martha pops her head into the living room, and she sees these 13 men, and Mary sitting on the floor. Verse 39 says, Mary was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. What? Now, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I remember as a kid, when you knew mom was upset, she didn't have to say a word, you just knew. The footsteps were a little bit heavier and a little bit faster. Maybe the dishes clanged in the cupboard a little bit harder than they should have been. Or the oven door was closed just a little bit faster, a little bit harder than normal. Martha's muttering, I can hear Mary Lou giggling away over here. <laughs> Martha's muttering away and frustrated with her sister because she's obviously not taking this hosting, this hosting gig seriously. I mean, it's Jesus. It needs to be perfect. Martha knows they don't get guests that often. So when they come, it has to be done right. And Martha has this eternal checklist in her mind of all the things that need to happen. But Mary doesn't care about the, the cost of reputation or the perception that people would have about them being inadequate hosts. And I can just see the scene where now Martha has given up on this, this, this 
passive-aggressive approach, trying to subtly get Mary into the kitchen to help, and now she's just had it up to here, and she's going to try the more direct approach. You can just see her, right? The group of 13 men, and Mary seated in the middle listening to Jesus speak. Martha storms into the, into the living room. She's given up on all, all feigned hope of, being, of this friendly hospitality that she has for her guests. It's, that's run out by now. Mary has pushed Martha over the edge. And desperation has come over Martha as she tries to salvage this disastrous event. What is she going to do? People are going to be, she's going to be the gossip of, of the neighborhood. And Martha, forgetting her place as a woman in a male-dominated world, rebukes not just a man, but a rabbi. And she says in verse 40, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. Now in the Greek translation here, what we need to understand is that the combination of these two words, left me and alone, aren't just simply a, like a, a whiny complaint about her sister's perceived selfishness and laziness. Martha has actually made a pretty serious accusation about her sister in front of these 13 men. Essentially what she has done is she's accused, Martha has accused her sister Mary of abandoning her or forsaking her responsibilities. And not only is she upset about it, she thinks, Jesus, you need to be upset about this too. So again, picture this scene. Mary is sitting in the room with Jesus in the room of 13 men, listening to Jesus, and Martha storms in and says, this, this, the sister of mine is, is a failure as a host. She's forsaken her obligation to host you as our guests. She's dishonored all of you. And she's dishonored herself and me because she isn't helping me. You can just see these 13 men. Oh my goodness, what did we get ourselves into? Oh, this is awkward. And the reality is, though, that Martha's right. See, in that culture, Martha's accusations would have been legitimate. Mary would have brought great shame on, on, on Martha. Most men would have agreed with Martha and agreed with the shame and embarrassment that Martha had just poured out on her sister in front of everyone to try and correct that behavior. But Jesus isn't like most men. Instead, Jesus, knowing that Martha is embarrassed, probably a little ashamed because of the poor hosting that reflects poorly on her as the, as the, the household head, knowing that Martha is upset with her sister and with him, knowing also that culturally Martha is actually right, but from a kingdom perspective, she's just so wrong. Graciously, lovingly, Jesus responds to Martha in verses 41 and 42. Martha, dear Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. And in a sentence, Jesus is shifting the culturally defined identity that what you do is who you are back to where it was in the beginning. Martha, you are made for more than just cooking, cleaning, and being busy. You are more than what you think you are. You are more than what others have told you you are. Martha, you are my creation. You were made in my image. You were made for a relationship. And if you spend time with me, you will discover that. And in a moment, 
Jesus redefines for Martha where our true identity comes from. And it has nothing to do with what we do. But it's instead because we are His. He has chosen us. Jesus is gently telling Martha, You're too busy, Martha. I accepted your invitation to see you and Mary, not to see the inside of your house, not to spend time testing your hosting abilities. But Martha was too busy maintaining her reputation, her role in the rules of the day, to see that she was missing out on a relationship. Let me say that again. Martha was too busy maintaining her reputation, her role in the rules of the day, to see that she was missing out on relationship. You see, busyness, just like with Martha, was distracting her from the fact that we are made for relationships with others and with Jesus. The Greek word here for the word distracted in verse 40 just simply means to draw attention from someone or something. In this case, busyness has distracted Martha to the point that it drew her, drew her away from Jesus. The reality is, is that busyness distracts us from the immediate but also the spiritual. When we're busy in our lives, in our minds, and in our souls, all we can see is the next thing, the next box in the checklist to cross off, or we just get overwhelmed. And unfortunately, when that happens, the slightest interruption or unmet expectation just sends us over the edge emotionally because we don't have room for error, because just too busy. our lives are just too busy for mistakes or people. And we can look at our lives and easily justify our busyness, just like Martha did. And we can give and give to these pursuits. Then wonder, God, I haven't experienced you in so long. Where where are you in my life? When When will I be rewarded for all the hard work that I keep doing for you, Jesus? Jesus, I just want to be used by you, but I I don't feel like I am. And we and we feel the sense of we feel dull disconnected, unfulfilled, lonely, and or lazy. Disconnected because we don't have any meaningful interactions with anyone anymore because we're just on to the next thing. We feel unfulfilled because we are made for relationships and that's just simply not happening any longer. We feel lonely because our busyness has just alienated and distanced us from anyone who might want to spend time with us, even Jesus. Or we feel lazy because we know we should spend time with other people or with Jesus. We know that Jesus calls us to be still and be present with him, but we're just too tired, we're just too emotionally and spiritually drained and weary that we just watch TV instead because we're just looking for an escape. And instead of engaging in relationships and the people immediately around me, we just see them more as interruptions than gifts. A couple of years ago, Natalie and I would go to church gatherings and, and, uh, and we'd be invited to a variety of different things and social gatherings. And, and afterwards, Natalie would often say things like, you know, you can talk to people when we go to these things, you know. And my response would always be the same. Yeah, but I don't want to. I don't, have this, I don't want to have the same basic conversations with people. I don't want or need more relationships in my life. I've, I've, I'm good. Shortly after some of those conversations occurred, we were given a sabbatical by our church, and, and it was during that time that I realized that it wasn't that I didn't want to talk to people, it's that I couldn't. 
I was so busy and so tired, so preoccupied, that I lacked the emotional capacity to have meaningful conversations with people because my mind was just racing on to the next thing. I was just so busy and so distracted that the relationships around me were suffering because I just, I couldn't, I, they were a disruption to everything else that needed to get done, all the important stuff. And as a result, I was missing out on the critical piece of who I am as God's creation. You and I are made for relationships. But busyness reduced the emotional margin of my life to the point that meaningful conversations with people around me just seemed like an obstacle, seemed like an impossibility. Because of busyness, all I could see in front of me was the next thing, the next job, the next task. And anything that deviated from that list was more of an interruption than a gift. If we believe that we are created for a relationship, which I do, I spoke about that last Sunday, Scripture makes that clear, I think, then the encounters that we have with people are actually God-given encounters that God has placed in our lives. That perhaps God has placed someone in your life in this immediate moment to remind you that the busyness you are in isn't what you were made for. The relationships you have with Jesus are. That encounters with people are a way of reminding you to not lose sight that you were created for a much larger purpose than just the stuff that we do on a day-to-day basis. But what if? What if instead of passively waiting for people to come to us, that we actually sought out to prioritize the kingdom and prioritize people? Seeing the disruptions to our busyness, not as problems or inconveniences, but as opportunities to be open to God and what He has to say in our lives. It was Mary who saw the disruption to her busyness, to the expectations around her, and saw it as an opportunity to meet with Jesus instead and encounter Him in a new way. Verse 39, Luke writes that Mary was listening to Jesus speak. This language here used for listening, it isn't a passive or disengaged kind of listening. It's this idea that when you hear something, but you're not really listening to it, or you hear something, but you're you're not really listening to it. That's not what he's saying here. Mary wasn't passive or disengaged. Her listening was the kind of listening that changes you. It's the kind of listening that transforms you. And as Mary embraced the immediacy of this moment with Jesus, she didn't just learn about Jesus, but she experienced him. She grew in intimacy with him. Her heart connected with his because her heart wasn't distracted by the things she needed to get done. Mary chose the things that were important to her soul. So, what do we do with this then? How do we focus on the immediate and the spiritual in our lives like Mary did? We know that we live in an over-busy, over-committed world. We can conclude that our lives are sometimes dull, disconnected, unfulfilled, lonely, lazy. But if you're like me, what do we do then? What do we do about that? John Ortberg, pastor from in the, in the U.S., he was having a conversation with his mentor, Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard is an author of a variety of different spiritual formations books and, and a professor at the seminary and, and a pastor as well. And, and John Ortberg was asked Dallas, what was the one thing Dallas Willard could recommend that would bring new energy to Ortberg's spiritual life? 
Wilberg says that Willard's reply was shocking in its simplicity. Dallas Willard looked him in the eye and said this, You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life, for hurry is a great enemy of spiritual life in our world today. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. I know my life. I know for many of us. The thought of just finding time for Jesus, just finding time for relationships or small groups just just won't happen. Truth is, we have to make time for it. We have to make time for Jesus. We have to make time for things that like meaningful relationships. We have to choose to prioritize, choose to be still, choose to listen at the feet of Jesus like Mary did. John 15 and chapter 15, verse 4 and 5 says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Inherent in this passage is this expectation that God wants you and I to stay connected to him. That likely means that we need to carve out some significant distractions that pull us from Jesus and from other people. So I was thinking about what are some ways that, what are some takeaways for us? I thought of three things that would help us, help me. By the way, when I, when I, in this conversation, this isn't just me speaking at you. This is like a collective, like, I struggle with this too. The three things that I think would help to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. And the point isn't here just to remove hurry. The point is to allow space for Jesus to speak into our lives like Mary experienced. One, disconnect. The more often I have my phone out, the busier my mind is. I'm distracted by whatever is happening in my hand compared to the conversations and the relationships around me. Maybe institute a car garage. When you get home from work or school, you just put it away and you don't look at it for the rest of the night. Or you put it away and you check it one time in the evening just to make sure you didn't miss any immediate emergencies. Or when you're at a restaurant with someone, don't leave the phone on the table. Leave it in your pocket or your purse. Be present with the people you are with. By putting your phone away, you're being accessible to whomever you happen to be with. Two, join a small group. Look, I know it's not convenient. You've, like me, you've got piles of laundry on the couch like we need to do at home. The toilet paper roll is probably empty in your bathroom like mine. But when you join a small group, you are inviting people into your life. You carve out one night a week to meet with like-minded people, to slow down and prioritize your relationships with others and with Jesus. Three, pray. One of the best ways for us to recalibrate our lives on Jesus is through prayer where we can get tossed back and forth from the different priorities in our life. But prayer recenters us on Jesus and gives us focus and clarity to live with him and be present with him in our lives. I want to wait the worship team to come on up. When we disconnect and surround ourselves in community and seek after the heart of Jesus, we create space in our lives to hear from the Holy Spirit. What I'd like to do is, as the worship team comes up, I want to just spend a minute just to be still. 
just to listen to the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit might say in your life today. What are ways that we can collectively seek after Jesus together? What are ways that we can be present with Jesus and allow him to speak into our lives? I know that we have the checklist of things that we need to get done after service. This is the moment, though, for us to just be still and know that he is God. We're going to close with the song, Here I Am to Worship. And uh, just kind of thinking about just even that phrase. Um, it just basically is an admission of our availability and of um, the fact that here I am, God, to worship you now, not just you are this and you are that. Um, but the song speaks about just putting ourselves intentionally and making ourselves aware that we are there in that moment, in this moment now, to worship. And, um, and it, it, you know, here I am to worship, here I am to bow down and say that you're my God. Um, it just sort of has a flavor of... Um, setting everything aside and saying this is what I'm doing now, here I am and so you know, just along the, the vein of taking that time to get rid of those distractions, let's just uh, sing together um, to worship and also just to put ourselves in front of God and, and not let other things distract us Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. Here I am to worship, 
Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. King of all days, oh so highly exalted, glorious in heaven above. Humbly you came to the earth you created, all for love's sake became poor. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God, you're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, and all together worthy. All together wonderful to me. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely. All together worthy. All together wonderful to me. You're all together lovely. All together worthy. Together wonderful to me.